You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Hope that video helped out a little bit in understanding 16, excuse me, 1600, 613 ways to mess up. So how many of you messed up more than like two times and 10 times and 600 and 1,000 and 10,000? I'm with you right there, brother, sister. I'm with you. I thought about sharing some, uh, some uh, laws across our country before we jump into these 613 laws. In South Dakota, it's illegal to fall asleep in a cheesecake, in the cheesecake uh, factory or cheese factory. So you should be aware of that. If you're ever visiting a cheese factory, don't fall asleep. They can go to jail. Uh, it's illegal to share your Netflix password with others in Tennessee. So uh, don't do that. Um, it's against the law to honk a car horn at a sandwich shop after 9 p.m. in Arkansas. So, um, so different from like when you go to Peru, they're honking their horns, like, like not, not stopping honking your horns during three in the morning, they're honking their horns. So it's so different from that. So um, <clears throat> typically laws are put into effect because there was a, like a legal thing that happened, an accident happened, or a lawsuit, and all of a sudden a new law is birthed and, you know, you can't do this or whatever. The laws that we're talking about today are coming, or they're a little bit different in that, that video helped us understand it just a little bit here. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. Um, God, I need you. And I'm so grateful for your, hum- your grace and, and your forgiveness and your love, your unfailing love. And again, I ask for your Holy Spirit to work in me and through me by your grace. Uh, we, we need to hear a word from you, God. And this is, a, we desire an encounter with your presence I pray, God, that um, you just have free reign here, free roam in every, every chair here, God, and, and would you just give God permission to speak to you? If that's your desire, would you tell God, God, speak to me? God, God, soften my heart and open my ears and give me eyes to see and, and, and change me. Change me, God. Make that your prayer. Change me. Lord, I I pray that, that uh, something supernatural and beautiful and miraculous happens here, God, as your word is lifted up, as you are lifted up, Jesus. <clears throat> I know some people need to be strengthened, encouraged, wherever they're at, God, would you lift them up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm catching up a little bit on my sleep. Uh, two nights ago, my dog, who... I know he knows Jesus, but he's not filled with the Spirit. I, he, he, at four in the morning, he just like went ballistic, running around our house and jumping on our bed. And he found this little stuffed animal somewhere in the house, and it got him excited. So he just decided to take off running everywhere. And that was like at four in the morning. And I was like, what is going on with this dog? So I'm, I'm catching up today a little bit on my sleep. Uh, this morning, I, uh, I, uh, I was late to church. My fear as a pastor is, is like being late to preach. That's my fear and being late. And um, I found out something with my cell phone. With my cell phone, I, uh, I, I have not been getting like calls, like audible phone calls. Like, so if someone would call me, my screen would light up. So if I'm not looking at my phone, I'm not aware the phone call is coming in. And even texts, no sounds, nothing like that. So today, my alarm just didn't ring, and I woke up late, and I was like, what in the world is going on? So 
I, I was looking around on my phone, and did you know there's this button called Do Not Disturb? Are you aware of that? And if that button is pressed, then you don't hear anything. And, and uh, anyway, I feel like that's a little bit with the message today because God, he reveals to the Israelites, you know, the, he takes off the do not disturb burden button and he shows them this is what it looks like to live a righteous life. This is what it looks like to live a righteous life. So we're going to look at these laws here a little bit. And as we go into this, here's the things that I want you to remember. I want you to remember you have this God who loves you and is a holy God, and his desire from the beginning of humanity was for people, his, his, his creation, his children to walk with him. Now, you have to remember, he's a holy God, and when, when sin entered the world, there's unholy people, and he's trying to have this relationship with him. But you just need to know that the burden of God is for you to know him. The burden of God is for you to live a righteous life. And he still has that same burden today. I don't know, whatever's going on in your life, you're not here by accident. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his righteousness. He wants you to know his joy, his peace, all of that. But he wants your heart to be changed, your heart to be transformed. So let's look at that. Let's just pretend Jesus never came. What would that look like, life before Christ? And if you were a good Hebrew in the Old Testament, and you were living during the times of the Old Testament, what would that righteousness look like? What would your righteousness look like? What would your relationship with God look like? Well, the first five books of the Bible are called uh, the Torah. That's what they're called, and, um, which means the law. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. It's also called the Pentateuch, which means the scroll. And, and, and that's what it is. So in these books, um, you find these approximately 613 laws. So they're not listed like the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. They're not in one list. They're just kind of splashed, scattered, you know, peppered throughout these five books. And just like the video you saw, they were intended to help people know what's right and what's wrong. So uh, you can break them down. The, there's 248 positive commandments, which are the do's, and then there's 365 negative ones, same number of days, right, no, no, that, are, that are the don'ts. So if you looked at the Ten Commandments, you could break those down with two different commandments, love God and love people. If you look at every commandment, it's either involving loving God or loving people. Same thing, if you break up the 613 commandments, it would involve either loving God or loving people. What does it look like to love God? And what does it look like to love people? So let me share with you some of these laws, because my guess is you probably didn't wake up thinking about any of these laws. So let's just pretend we're Hebrews and we're living in the old times of the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't come around yet, and you grew up with these laws, and your parents taught you these laws, and you have these people called Pharisees and teachers of the law that teach you. So these laws are, are kind of broken up in different categories. Let's say one is called the worship of Yahweh or God, and here's one law. Believe in Yahweh as the only source of power in the universe. You could find that in Exodus 20. And Deuteronomy 6, love Yahweh, love God with all your heart, soul, and might. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Read the book of the law. Teach the book of the law to our children. Bind the law upon our hands and write the law upon our minds. In fact, if you visited Israel, you'll find Jews wearing this little thing around their head right now. That's, that's where this comes from right here. Make blue tassels on the corners of the garment's 
to remind you of God's commandments. If you flip the pages and you look in the New Testament, the Pharisees, that's what they were. Look like a big old bathrobe. You know, they were, and they had these tassels on the bottom, and it showed people that they were righteous, and the longer the tassels, the more righteous they were. That's where this comes from. A king must acquire and apply the book of the law. Do not seek after mediums, astrology, witchcraft, or sorcery. So there's some examples. Sacrifices. The continual burnt offering the tamid sacrifice must be offered twice every day. So if you were a good Hebrew, you'd have, you'd have had a sacrifice this morning, you know, after Starbucks probably or before Starbucks. And then later on tonight, after the Broncos, you'd have another sacrifice. You know, you do it twice every day. The grain and drink offering must be offered twice daily. An additional sacrifice must be offered every Sabbath. An additional sacrifice must be offered on the new moon all animals to be sacrificed must be without blemish. It's an important one. That's related to Jesus. Remember, Jesus went to the cross and he was without blemish. He was without sin. And that's where this comes from, okay? He, he was our sacrifice. The first tithe is to be holy and belongs to Yahweh. All tithes and offerings must be brought to the sanctuary of Yahweh. So ritual purity, check this out. Anyone who touches or eats the carcass of an unclean animal becomes ritually unclean. Menstruous women are ritually unclean. Women after childbirth are ritually unclean. Anyone with a spreading skin disease is ritually unclean. Any clothing contaminated with a spreading disease is ritually unclean. A house contaminated by a spreading disease is ritually unclean. A man having an abnormal discharge is ritually unclean. This is why it was such a big deal that Jesus went to go sit down with those who had diseases. He sat down with, he healed the leper, and he, did, he, he wasn't afraid to go with the unclean so that they could become clean. This is why the Pharisees saw Jesus and said, what are you doing? Our job is to be clean. That's our whole job. And what are you doing? You're mixing with the unclean. Here's another one. <clears throat> Anyone or anything coming into contact with semen becomes ritually unclean. Aren't you glad you came to church? I said semen in church. Um, <clears throat> do not tattoo yourself. Um, our, our duties to our fellow men. Stolen property must be returned to the owner. See, that's, this is one that we still believe in today, right? Um, loans to brothers must be without interest. So if you're going to loan out money to your brother or sister, it should not have any interest. Pay the hired worker his wages on time. Everybody said amen to that, right? We like that one. Permit the, <laughs> hallelujah, permit the poor to eat of the produce of the vineyard or the standing grain. Permit the poor to eat the produce of the vineyard or the standing grain. And you read about that, the story of Ruth. And Boaz did that. He allowed some of the grain to fall because he was concerned about the poor. He was a good Jew. Help a stranger who has a fallen animal. When we give testimony in a lawsuit, we must speak the truth. That's today, same thing. Parents and teachers, show honor and respect for Yahweh's appointed teachers. Show honor and respect to parents. All the parents say amen. Uh, <clears throat> marriage must be according to Yahweh's laws. Dietary laws. You thought you had a strict dietary law. Look at this. Do not eat any unclean animal. Do not eat any unclean flying insect. 
Do not eat any insects that creep on the ground. Do not eat any reptiles. Do not eat worms found in produce or fruit. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not eat the fat of sacrificed animals. And do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk, since it is ritual of God worshipers. Those are pagan worshipers, those who worship false gods. So, in fact, this right here, if you remember the story in the book of Acts, when when Peter, he said, I'm a really good Jew, and God gave him this vision, and it was a big blanket. Remember that? It was a big, and, and on there was all kinds of bugs and, and unclean things, and, and, and he says, I'm not going to eat any of that. I've been a good Jew my whole life, God. And God says, no, eat. I made everything. And God used Peter to reach out to the Gentiles and, and to, to Jews as well. Let's talk about our sex life here. Since we're at church, it's a good place to talk. Um, <clears throat> a man must not have sexual relationships with his mother, a man must not have sexual relationships with his father's wife, with his sister, with his half-sister, with his son's daughter, with his daughter's daughter, with his daughter. Um, <clears throat> a man must not have sexual relationships with his father's sister, with his mother's sister, with his father's brother, with his daughter-in-laws, with his brother's wife. A woman must not have sexual relationships with an animal, with another a man must not have a sexual relationship with another man. A man must not have a relationship with an animal. And you just get the picture of how specific this thing gets. And the reason why it gets so specific is because God wants you to live a holy life in every area of your life, even your bedroom and even under the sheets. That's your God. God wants you to live a righteous life everywhere. 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 Do not allow a daughter to prostitute themselves, allowing her to commit fornication. A man must not allow himself to be castrated. Can I get an amen, man? <laughs> a man must not divorce a woman unless she committed premarital fornication. So you see these rules. I say rules. This is really, I hate using the word rules because this is a picture of a God who's desperate. He's desperately, he, he's desperate about wanting to have a relationship with you. And he's a holy God. So he's not going to compromise his holiness to have a relationship with you. What he did was he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world who was unblemished. And he went to the cross and paid the penalty, began the propitiation for our sins. So it's a lot to take in. <clears throat> Sometimes we say things like, I'm human. Have you ever heard someone you know, they say something they shouldn't say, and they say, I'm just human. I, I'm sorry, I'm human. Or, you know, it's kind of, when it's usually said, it's usually like a, a uh, you know, just excuse me. Excuse my anger. Excuse the words that came out of my mouth. Excuse my mistake. I am human. And you hear that every once in a while. What you see with God is God didn't buy that excuse. God saw the problem that he didn't create. Because sin entered the world through disobedience from Adam and Eve, and that sin entered all of the world and marred all of humanity. But God didn't create that, but God does fix it. God does fix it. He sends His only Son. And that's what you, that's what you have. So the question you, might, the question you might have, like when you look in the Old Testament, is like, how good is good enough? Some of you are, are duct tape engineers, and you could identify with this. Like, yeah, I could fix my tire and put some duct tape around it. Um, <laughs> how good is good enough? If you were living in the days of the Old Testament before Jesus, how good would be good enough? Would going to church every weekend be good enough? Would giving be good enough? Offering a sacrifice two times a day, would that be good enough? Even today, how good is good enough? 
you recycle, you're organic, you do all these things, and you're kind, and you give money to charity every once in a while. How good is good enough? And if you just think about this logically, you know, does God, you know, kind of judge on a curve? Like, let's say if you're 95% good, would that be good enough? If you're 85% good, is that good enough under the eyes of God? If you're 50% plus one majority, would that be good enough under the eyes of God? If you had the ability to be good enough on your own, Jesus never would have come into, needed to come into this world. There would not have needed to be a sacrifice. So whether, you know, like you're in the, proverb, in the proverbial ocean and you're 10 feet away from the bank and you're drowning, or you're a mile away from the shore and you're drowning, you still need to be saved. We all, all need to be saved. And James chapter 2 says it like this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. So you could imagine these 613 laws and these Hebrews living during this time. And it'd be like, you know, I broke law 273 today. I broke law 404 today. I broke law 17, whatever it is. And, and the idea was there's this tremendous weight that we're living under and we could never be made right with God alone with our own merits, obeying all of these laws. We just fail too much. And if I fail in one, I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm just, I just fail. So when you look at the Bible, you see these prophets <clears throat> come onto these scene. There's major prophets and minor prophets. But these prophets, and God uses these prophets to communicate the problem. And in fact, Ezekiel is one of the prophets. And God says, look, here's the issue here. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So God says, here's the problem. You need a new heart because you're going to keep messing up. So what happens incidentally in the New Testament? Where do you invite Jesus Christ? You invite Jesus Christ into your heart. And then this whole idea of a new spirit, when does the new spirit come into play? Turn the pages and look into the book of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 2. It's called Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit can now fill you, and it's all about us living this righteous life. So God's fixing this problem. You keep reading this passage, it says this, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah, another prophet, he says, here's the problem. You need a new contract. Because this old contract of 613 laws and sign here is not working out. So in Jeremiah chapter 31, it says this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. That's beautiful. The new covenant covenant and do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk since it is ritual of God worshipers, those are pagan worshipers, those who worship false gods. So uh, in fact, this right here, if you remember the story in the book of Acts, when, when Peter, he said, I'm a really good Jew, and God gave him this vision, and it was a big blanket. Remember that? It was a big, and, and on there was all kinds of bugs and, and unclean things, and, and, and he says, I'm not going to eat any of that. I've been a good Jew my whole life, God. And God says, no, eat. I made everything. And God used Peter to reach out to the Gentiles and, and to, to Jews as well. Let's talk about our sex life here. Since we're at church, it's a good place to talk. Um, <clears throat> a man must not have sexual relationships with his mother. A man must not have sexual relationships with his father's wife. 
with his sister, with his half-sister, with his son's daughter, with his daughter's daughter, with his daughter. Um, <clears throat> a man must not have sexual relationships with his father's sister, with his mother's sister, with his father's brother, with his daughter-in-laws, with his brother's wife. A woman must not have sexual relationships with an animal, with another a man must not have a sexual relationship with another man. A man must not have a relationship with an animal. And you just get the picture of how specific this thing gets. And the reason why it gets so specific is because God wants you to live a holy life in every area of your life, even your bedroom and even under the sheets. That's your God. God wants you to live a righteous life everywhere. 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 Do not allow a daughter to prostitute themselves, allowing her to commit fornication. A man must not allow himself to be castrated. Can I get an amen, man? <laughs> a man must not divorce a woman unless she committed premarital fornication. So you see these rules. That, I say rules. This is really, I hate using the word rules because this is a picture of a God who's desperate. He's desperately, he, he's desperate about wanting to have a relationship with you. And he's a holy God. So he's not going to compromise his holiness to have a relationship with you. What he did was he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world who was unblemished. And he went to the cross and paid the penalty, became the propitiation for our sins. So it's a lot to take in. <laughs> Sometimes we say things like, I'm human. Have you ever heard someone you know, they say something they shouldn't say, and they say, I'm just human. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm human. Or, you know, it's kind of, when it's usually said, it's usually like a, a uh, you know, just excuse me. Excuse my anger. Excuse the words that came out of my mouth. Excuse my mistake. I am human. And you hear that every once in a while. What you see with God is God didn't buy that excuse. God saw the problem that he didn't create. Because sin entered the world through disobedience from Adam and Eve, and that sin entered all of the world and marred all of humanity. But God didn't create that, but God does fix it. God does fix it. He sends His only Son. And that's what you, that's what you have. So the question you, might, the question you might have, like when you look in the Old Testament, is like, how good is good enough? Some of you are, are duct tape engineers, and you could identify with this. Like, yeah, I could fix my tire and put some duct tape around it. Um, <laughs> how good is good enough? If you were living in the days of the Old Testament before Jesus, how good would be good enough? Would going to church every weekend be good enough? Would giving be good enough? Offering a sacrifice two times a day, would that be good enough? Even today, how good is good enough? You recycle, you're organic, you do all these things, and you're kind, and you give money to charity every once in a while. How good is good enough? And if you just think about this logically, you know, does God, you know, kind of judge on a curve? Like, let's say if you're 95% good, would that be good enough? If you're 85% good, is that good enough under the eyes of God? If you're 50% plus one, majority, would that be good enough under the eyes of God? If you had the ability to be good enough on your own, Jesus never would have come into, needed to come into this world. There would not have needed to be a sacrifice. So whether, you know, like you're in the, proverb, in the proverbial ocean and you're 10 feet away from the bank and you're drowning, or you're a mile away from the shore and you're drowning, you still need to be saved. We all, all need to be saved. And James chapter 2 says it like this. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been 
Guilty of all of it. So you could imagine these 613 laws and these Hebrews living during this time. And it'd be like, you know, I broke law 273 today. I broke law 404 today. I broke law 17, whatever it is. And, and the idea was there's this tremendous weight that we're living under and we could never be made right with God alone with our own merits obeying all of these laws. We just fail too much. And if I fail in one, I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm just, I just fail. So when you look at the Bible, you see these prophets come onto these scene. There's major prophets and minor prophets. But these prophets, and God uses these prophets to communicate the problem. And in fact, Ezekiel is one of the prophets. And God says, look, here's the issue here. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So God says, here's the problem. You need a new heart because you're going to keep messing up. So what happens incidentally in the New Testament? Where do you invite Jesus Christ? You invite Jesus Christ into your heart. And then this whole idea of a new spirit, when does the new spirit come into play? Turn the pages and look into the book of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 2. It's called Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit can now fill you and it's all about us living this righteous life. So God's fixing this problem. You keep reading this passage, it says this, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah, <coughs> another prophet, he says, here's the problem. You need a new contract. Because this old contract of 613 laws and sign here, is not working out. So in Jeremiah chapter 31, it says this, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. That's beautiful. The new covenant is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. This new covenant, when God forgives, he doesn't just forgive, but he remembers no more. Aren't you glad you have a God who remembers no more. He doesn't bring up your sin over and over to you every day. He doesn't guilt you, doesn't shame you. You have a God who wants you to grow and become righteous. Isaiah says this, here's the problem. We need a Messiah. And Isaiah chapter 9 says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So all these prophets are saying, Change is coming. That's what all the prophets are saying. Change is coming. It has to change. Something has to change because humanity's not living up to these standards. In John chapter 1, verse 17, is this transition verse. It bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament in a beautiful way. And here's what it says. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes onto the scene, he kind of underscores exactly what God said with the prophets, and, 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 and he recognizes this. And in fact, you have to remember when Jesus walked this earth, and he walked around the Sea of Galilee, and he walked amongst Pharisees, guess what they are thinking? They're thinking about the law. They're thinking, this is how you're made right with God. 
So Jesus, everything he, just almost everything he says and what he does is competing with their understanding of what the law says and its purpose. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, don't, under, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And what's the purpose? I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And the purpose is a key word. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that our ancestors were told, here it is, he's going to quote a law, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. And then verse 22, Jesus says these famous three words in, 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 these, in the Sermon on the Mount. And read, read these first three words out loud with me. But I say. Now those three words right there is differentiating Jesus. He's quoting this law, do not murder. But then he says, but I say. It asserts spiritual authority. He's saying his word is, is greater now. It's an amendment to the law. And he's, he's demonstrating his superiority. He's demonstrating that he has the authority to change this. He has the authority to amend this law. He says, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, here's what Jesus is doing right here. Jesus is making, clear, making it clear that it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And in fact, later on, he says, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So Jesus makes it really clear. You know what? <clears throat> you can try and you can try and you can try, but until your heart changes, you will never truly be changed. Have you ever been with someone who has uh, an unchanged heart and they're trying? You know what that looks like? It's so hard. Have you ever tried to walk with God? and your heart's not changed. It's really hard to be in a marriage when one heart is not changed and the other one is. It's really hard. It's hard to be in a business relationship or whatever it is. I tell people all the time, you know, your, your, your tongue is a tattletale of your heart. You know what I'm saying? If you want to know what's inside someone's heart, all you have to do is listen to the words that come out of their mouth. And the heart, if it's not changed, you truly aren't changed. You can try and try to do all the right things, but until the heart is changed, you will not be changed. I talked about a few weeks ago, it's like that rubber band that you stretch, and you stretch out like this, and you're trying to do this or trying to make the right decisions, but little by little, it goes back to who you really are. And that's why there's that frustration. I was talking to someone recently who was uh, battling something, and I was talking to, to him, and I, I just told him, look, you're never going to defeat this until your heart is changed by God. You're never, just get that in your head. You're never going to kick this until your heart is changed 
by God. And too many times what we do is we say, well, I'll just try, but we don't let God change our hearts. When you let God change your heart, something happens. When God gives you a new heart, the things that you used to do are no longer your norm. And even when you fall, you trip up and you fail, that thing that you did is no longer natural. It no longer feels comfortable. It no longer feels like your norm anymore. It just feels different. It lost its power. And you, compete, you, you combine that with the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and God gives you the Holy Spirit to, to make you holy and to equip you and to empower you to live a holy life. All of a sudden, it's like, you know what? I used to lie, but now when I lie, <laughs> it doesn't feel the same anymore. I don't want to reason like I used to reason anymore. I used to be caught up in lust, but now that God has changed my heart, it just feels different when I go to that site. I don't want to go to that site anymore. I can't live, with, I'm, not, I'm not that person. I, I can't live like that anymore. I used to go to that, you know, to that bar and I used to just get drunk and wasted, but I don't want to, and God's given me a new heart and I don't have a desire anymore. That's what happens when God changes your heart. It's this whole thing of God wants you to know his arms of love. God wants you to know him when you're at home in the kitchen and you're at Starbucks and you're in your car and you're out on a walk or a run. He wants you to know him and he wants you to walk with him, not because he's a rule God, but because he's a loving God. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. He wants you to know his arms, and he wants to know your arms too. <clears throat> I, 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 uh, I, I, last first service, I talked about my, my daughter. Um, you know, she's such a big uh, Christmas decorating person. She gave me permission to share this. It's such a big Christmas. Like outside, typically, <clears throat> my Christmas decorations would be like one candy cane on our tree. And I know some of you Griswolds would feel very different about that. But I'm just like a one candy cane. I don't just, I just don't do much. I just, I'm sorry. You see my office, how simple it is. But anyway, I just don't do much. So she's been just so good about, let's decorate, let's decorate. So I, I came home from work. And next thing you know is I'm climbing up and down a ladder. And I'm in the tree limbs and branches and moving lights around and stuff like that. And I'm telling her, we need another ladder. And she tells me, go find, knock on doors and the neighbors looking for a ladder. And I'm like, Oh, my word. I feel a new compassion for the elves in the North Poles. They are slaves. They are slaves in the North Pole. I don't know what your vision of the elves in the North Pole, but they are slaves. So I've been telling her, save the elves, save the elves, save the elves. And then every once in a while, she says, Dad, yeah, Dad, I'm sorry. And she wants me to hug her, and I don't really like hug her. And she like, puts her arms around me. You know, you've ever done that with people? Like, they, you don't really hug them back. And you're like, you better hug me. I'm not going to let go until I hug you. She wants to feel my arms around her. She wants to feel the love. It's what we do when we walk with God. God wants to feel those arms around you. He wants, to feel, he wants you to feel his arms, and he wants you to trust him as well with your arms. So what's the purpose of this crazy stuff? When you look at Jesus, and, and you know, Jesus makes it really clear, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So the question is, who is Lord of your heart? Who's Lord of your heart? If you don't feel like your heart needs to change, it will never change. It's possible for you to become in love with sin and the pleasures of sin and not want to change. It's possible for you to reason within your own self. So you can't change something that you worship. And if you worship yourself, you'll never want to change. If you think highly of your pride, you'll never want to change. 
If you think highly of yourself, you'll never feel compelled. There will never be any motivation, any desperation saying, I need a Savior. How do you feel about yourself? Jesus says, look, there's this heart issue going on. And until the heart is changed. <laughs> Later on, you know, you see the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they always are trying to stump Jesus. And remember one of the times they went up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, which commandment, which law is the most important? That was the question. Which law is most important? What's the greatest commandment? And you might think he's going to quote one of the Ten Commandments or he's going to quote one of the 613 laws about being unclean or whatever it is. And they're just trying to trip him up. And what he says instead, he says, here, here it is, verse 37, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. And then verse 39, he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says. Even here at Thorn Creek, we want to love God and we want to love people. We want to love God in a way that's pleasing in the eyes of God. We want God to smell Thorn Creek and say, oh. I smell obedience. I smell worship. I smell repentance. I smell brokenness. That's what we want him to smell. And we want people who come here to say, wow, that church just loves. I hear that all the time. I heard someone, I think I shared that with you a few weeks ago. Someone told me this church is not judgmental. They've only been here, they've only been here two times at the time when they said that. And I thought, how in the world did they know that? Because I, we haven't created any, you know, I don't judge with our Thorn Creek logo shirts. We haven't done that, but they just picked up on we're just not like that because we all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. And you see Jesus, <coughs> he, uh, he says it's loving God and loving people. So what's the purpose of the law? Is it still relevant for us today? What does it look like? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, it says this, um, when, or excuse me, well then, I am suggesting that the law of God that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. So the law is good because it showed me that this is the standard and I never would have known that I was messing up if I didn't know that standard. I could claim ignorance and say, I had no idea. I had no idea. Even when you're in a relationship with someone, there's this little law that you don't really talk about with friends, and here it is. We don't lie to each other. How do you feel when your friend or marriage partner, whoever it is, they lie, and you're thinking, whoa, don't you know that law? That's, that's, we don't do that. See, there are certain laws that, that are like, hey, this is something that we're in this together. We commit ourselves. We, we, we value kindness. We value sharing. We value these things. And Paul is saying, you know what? If I didn't know that law, I never would have known my sin. So in that respect, it's good. In Galatians, Paul goes on to say, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Amen. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It's through faith. So here it is. God's law became our tutor 
So we understand the gap between our best effort and the righteousness of God. As I was studying this message this whole week, and I'm reading, I'm reading the 613 laws, and I am just overwhelmed, and I'm like, oh my word, it's, it's just, I, I, I'm sure I would forget number 117 and number 302, whatever it is, I would forget. And, and when you look in the New Testament, and you get to this place where you say, oh, here's what it all means, is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and being faithful and obedient to him loving him and loving people and letting him change my heart and put his spirit inside of me. That feels so much easier. It became, it became, it became, it became a tutor for us. Second thing is this, God chose grace. God chose grace. Undeserved favor. He just realized there's just no way we can do it on our own. And he sent his only son. Romans chapter 10 says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Like what Andy Stanley said, he said this, Christianity is based on the premise that God laid aside fairness and opted for mercy and grace instead. Aren't you glad? I want to be clear about this because Paul talks about this as well in Galatians. The grace of God is not an excuse to sin. I didn't share that in the last two services. Maybe I need to say it here. The grace of God is not an excuse to sin. Sometimes people can go so far on the grace of God where there's no burden for obedience. There's no burden for repentance when they do mess up. There's no burden for faithfulness. God wants you to live a holy and righteous life. And yes, we're all under the grace of God, but God wants you to live an obedient life to him as well. It's based on the premise that God laid aside fairness and opted for mercy and grace instead. <clears throat> and here's the other thing I want you to hear of this. The law had a built-in expiration date. It ended with Christ. It had a built-in expiration date. It's still good. It gives us a picture of what life would have been without Christ, but it had a built-in expiration date. It's God's desire to forgive. It's God's desire for you to cast all your worries and troubles on him. That's what God wants you to do. It's God's desire for you to walk by faith. It's God's desire for you to spend time in this inbox right here every single day. Every single day, spend time in this inbox. It's God's desire for you to love others the way he has loved you, for you to forgive the way he has forgiven you. Can you do that? It's God's desire for you to worship him with your life, to be a living sacrifice before him. It's God's desire to change your heart. It's God's desire to put his spirit inside of you. Think about that. In the Old Testament, nobody except a few select individuals knew what it was like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have something available to you that nobody in the Old Testament had. You're like a walking tabernacle. The very presence of God. Jesus tabernacled with us. That means he moved into our neighborhood. And the Holy Spirit can dwell in you in a way that everyone in the Old Testament, with, you know, minus the, the, the messengers and the prophets, everyone in the Old Testament would have loved to experience the Holy Spirit in their very, very body, in their mind, in their heart, in their soul. God desires to give you a new life. Hey, man, can you put your hands together for that? It's good news. <laughs> I love that last scene of him walking into the, 
chapel into the worship center, the sanctuary. It's a beautiful scene because that's where God wants us to dwell. He wants us to dwell in his presence. And I'm reminded of uh, this famous story in the Gospel of Luke called The Prodigal Son. And it's a story about this son who just wastes all of his money, goes around and has sex with people and blows his money and leaves his dad and puts his back to his father. And then one day he comes to his senses when he's in his pig's pen and he decides to return home and he finds the father on the edge of the road waiting for him full of compassion and embraces him and kills his fattened calf and put a ring on him and says, you're mine, you belong to me. And that's a phenomenal message and a picture of God's love for us. I want to invite you to, to, to get right with God. Maybe you came to church and you're not a Christian. This is the time right here when you can give your life over to Jesus. Or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you have just kind of gone off the road and, and you, you know you're not right. This is a time for you to get right with God. So let's pray together. And if you're ready to receive Christ, would you say this prayer? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you with all my heart today. Give me a new heart, God. And if you consider yourself a Christian, but you feel like maybe you've gotten off the road, would you say this? God, I need your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for strain. Forgive me, God, for, for, for just going off the road. I know better than that, God, so I want to get right with you. Jesus, I confess you are Lord. I ask you to change my heart. I ask you to put your Holy Spirit inside of me, just like Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about. And may I live a life honoring to you. May I love people the way you love me, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.